Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. If you were asked who are the greatest people who ever lived, how would you answer that question? Times Magazine has had a greatest person of the year for like the last hundred years sort of thing. And it's really interesting some of the people on there. You've had Elvis Presley, who's one of those people, musician. You've had Albert Einstein, who's talked about as the man of the century. And get this, Adolf Hitler was the man of the, of the year in like 1939. But it's not the most impressive person, it's like the most significant person, for better, for worse, right? Now he's on there because obviously he intentionally killed like 11 million people through homicide, uh, through murder in the Holocaust. Now, of course, they have, they have a list of the top 100 most influential people of all time. And we all know who's on, at the top of that list. Who's at the top of that list? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. Jesus is at the top of the list. Who's number two? Have a guess. No. Napoleon, right? Did so much conquering. Napoleon, followed by Muhammad in third place, who's the prophet of Islam. But according to God's plan of salvation in the Bible, this is what I reckon would be the list based on the Bible. Jesus, number one. Maybe it's Abraham, number two. But if a close third, if not actually second, would be King David. And yet Time Magazine has King David placed at number 57, which is two behind Joseph Smith, who is the cult leader who invented Mormonism. So two places behind a cult, a guy that came up with a cult. So I think it's easy for us to fail to recognise how significant King David really is. Why is he so great? Why is he so important in the Bible? But first, let's look at the story so far. Okay, the pattern of the kingdom. Learn the pattern of the kingdom. So, in the beginning, God set up the way that we're meant to live, how his kingdom was meant to look, God's people in God's place under God's rule. Adam and Eve in the garden, experiencing God's blessing. And on the seventh day, God rested. And there were rivers that flowed out from Eden, which was meant to be... Eden was meant to bless the entire rest of the whole world. So we have the pattern of the kingdom, and then we have... The perish kingdom. The kingdom perished. So Adam and Eve broke covenant with God. They rejected God's rule over their life. And sin and death and judgment entered into the world. And they were separated from the tree of life and the rest that God enjoyed. And then God makes a promise in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That he would one day bring a serpent crusher who would defeat death. Judgment and the curse. Lydia. But this glimmer of hope of the serpent crusher was overshadowed in the coming chapters. Chapter 4 to 11, we see the river of sin flowing out. And like a river full of salt water choking everything in its path. And eventually God floods the world and judges the world. However, there's another river that flows from chapter 12 to the rest of the Bible... It's the river of God's promise, 
that flows out from Abraham. And God promises him three things. And that is, God's people is going to make into a great nation. So it's God's people. Land flowing with milk and honey, Canaan. And thirdly, God's rule and blessing. And as a result, God will make Abraham's name great. Like the biggest river in the world that flows, the Ganges, that flows through the Himalayas, goes back to the source, which is called the Cow's Mount, this tiny little place. Abraham, all of God's blessings to the world are going to flow from this one man, Abraham. And at the end of Genesis, we see God makes a promise um, that a king is going to turn God's people back and bring them under God's rule. It says in Genesis 49.10, the obedience of the nations will be his. So there's a promise of a king. However, in the book of Judges, we see this cycle of sin and death happens. So what happens is, people are oppressed by a foreign nation. Then they cry out to God to save us. God sends a judge. The judge defeats all the opposing enemies. Then they live in peace. The judge dies. They turn back to sin. They're oppressed again and it happens over and over and over. And then in 1 Samuel 7, Samuel appears as the last judge in the Bible. And at the end of Samuel's life, Israel says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8 verses 5, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. The key phrase, like all the nations. They want an impressive military leader. So they rebelled against God because they failed to see God had been their their king over them. He rescued them from Egypt. He provided for the manna and quail in the wilderness. He defeated their enemies, the Philistines and the Canaanites. What did that God do? He gives them what they want. He gives them a king. He gives them Saul. However, Saul, the people's king, ends up disobeying God's command. So God rejects Saul. And this sets up the first great mountain peak in the Bible. King David. One of the greatest things you can accomplish, I think, in your life is to climb one of the tallest mountains, say Mount Everest. It stands at the tallest mountain in the world. For thousands of years, no one had managed to climb this mountain. And it was Sir Edmund Hillary who was the first person to ever climb that mountain. Imagine being the first person up there. All those years of hard work finally paying off and the view, well, would have taken your breath away. In a way, he stands at the top of that mountain representing us. As if to say, look what the human race has accomplished. And in a similar way, David becoming king is like standing on the highest mountain of God's promises. And all of us are with him. And yet it was not any work of, on David's behalf that he managed to scale the mountain of God's promise, the peak time in Israel's history. Instead, 1 Samuel 16 says, God chose King David. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. This is the crucial difference between Saul and David. David is a man after God's own heart. Which is Now this is often misunderstood in terms of David's character. People think, he must have been just super godly. Now he was, he did end up being really godly. But actually, the phrase I think means more that David has a place in God's heart. He is chosen not because of his godliness, but because of God's purpose. God loved David. God set his heart on David. And now with David as king, we see God partially fulfilling his promises to Abraham. In terms of promise number one, a people... 
God multiplied Abraham's offspring into a great nation. Exodus 1 says, The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So we have a people. A place is the second promise. We see the Israelites take possession of God's place, Canaan, in the book of Joshua. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to His father, fathers. Not all, um, yeah, um, and not all of the enemies had withstood them, for the land had given, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hand. And the, the verse before that says God had give, brought them into the land, right? And God confirms that in two Samuel seven, where He says in verse ten, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. This is what God says to David, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. While the Israelites had lived in this land since the days of Joshua, the promise here says, now they're going to experience security. So they're no more going to be oppressed by any other nations. They've received the rest, and now they're going to get to enjoy the rest. And now, fulfillment of promise number three, God's people living under God's rule and blessing, David, more than any other person, um, seeks to place himself and God's people under God's law. He obeys God, they obey God, they turn from idols, and they experience this blessing of this fruitful time. This is why David is so great. He loved God, he, un- he obeyed God, and he was blessed by God. And in 2 Samuel 7 verse 11 we read, And I will give you rest from your enemies. And so now they get to enjoy a land flowing with milk and honey. It's as if they've returned to Eden, back into God's rest. And as David stands on the mountain of God's promise, his breath is taken away. But here is the thing with mountains. Sometimes they're so tall, they obstruct our view from what's on the other side of the mountain. From the bottom of a mountain peak, the peak closest to you looks like it's the top. But when you get to the top, sometimes you can see another peak on the other side of that mountain. In the same way, from the top of this mountain, David is now now shown an even greater mountain in the the future. And the second mountain peak, peak is the Messiah. In 2 Samuel 7, we read, The Lord declared to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This passage is probably one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. Where David had earlier said, I want to build a house for you, God says, I'm going to build a house for you, David. The word for house also means kingdom or dynasty. And here, we're introduced to a future king, and we're told, one, he is a descendant of David. Two, his kingdom will be established by God. Three, he'll build a house for God's name. Four, the throne of his kingdom will last forever. And it looks like in 1 Kings um, chapter 1, God's promises start to be fulfilled. Who is the next person that comes after David? Solomon? What happens in Solomon's time? Can remember anything that happened while Solomon is king? Or what Solomon like? 
super wise. Yeah. So he was so wise, people came from all around, from all the other nations, to come and experience his wisdom. This is the Queen of Sheba coming to hear of his wisdom. He also built the temple, right? There we see the great, beautiful, glorious gold temple. Now, how, does anyone know how rich Solomon was? Get this. In 1 Kings 10, it says every year he received 666 talents of gold. That's 25 talents of gold a year. That's over $1 billion worth of gold a year. And he reigned for 39 years. I'm going to put this in perspective for you. One of the richest men in the world right now is Elon Musk. His peak net worth is $189 billion, Okay, That's a lot of money. This paled in comparison with Solomon. His net worth is estimated to be at $2 trillion. That's $2,000 billion. That is how wealthy Solomon was. And the result of God blessing Solomon is in 1 Kings 8, Solomon says... Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to the people of Israel according to all he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promises which he spoke to Moses, his servant. Now it seems like the top of that mountain peak we've arrived, the second one is Solomon. And yet, in 1 Kings 11 verse 4 we read, in the, in the next one, And when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his David, his father David. Solomon's heart is led away by idols. And what happens? As a result, David's kingdom is destroyed. After Solomon, it's divided into two kingdoms. Each of these was in turn devastated. The first kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians, Israel to the north. The south was destroyed by the Babylonians. And... God did this because the people sinned and rejected. Because the kings rejected. They weren't who they were meant to be like David. However, though the decline and fall of the kingdom happened, the prophets start talking about another king. A great king to come from David. In fact, in Isaiah, it talks about this king. And we read some of these promises at Christmas time. There shall come forth from the shoot, um, from the stump of Jesse, that's from David's descendants, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And once again, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. So one day, someone's going to come who's greater than David, just like David, who's greater than Solomon, wiser than Solomon, and he is going to bring God's everlasting kingdom. And we're going to hear more about that next week when we think about the present kingdom. But let's just think today, what can we take away from what we've heard today? Well, firstly, how would you describe faith? Can someone just put their hand and say, how would you describe faith? What is faith? Anyone? What's faith? If you're explaining faith to a non-Christian person, what would you say? Let me put it this way. Is faith a leap in the dark? A blind leap, leap in the dark? Would say, put your hand up if you would say faith is a leap in the dark. Yeah, okay. Some people would. Well, think about what we've learned today. It's all about God's promise. Faith is believing the promises of God. 
So if you ever go, oh, I, I, don't feel, I don't feel as strong in my faith today, well, you need to ask yourself, do you still believe that Jesus died for sins? Do you believe that God will bless the world through Abraham? Do you believe that there is still forgiveness from sins? Do you believe that God kept his promise to David? If you believe God kept his promise to David, that God is faithful to raise up a saviour, a king, who reigns over God's kingdom forever, well, then you're a Christian. Right? It's not how you feel, it's whether you trust God's promises. Second thing is, how does David help us think about greatness? I started with greatness, the greatest people of all time. Studies have shown that 33% of young people said being famous is somewhat important or very important to them. And you know how this is expressed? Studies have shown young people use social media to seek fame. In 1968, a guy called Andy Warhol predicted that in the future, everyone in the world will be famous for 15 minutes. And I think now, that's truer than any other time in history. You can post pictures about yourself up on Instagram or a TikTok video about some weird dance moves. And all of a sudden, you can imitate what it's like to be famous, right? Justin Bieber, he was just singing on YouTube at age 13, picked up. Now he's famous. And you know what? A lot of people have been really damaged by this. Because firstly, there's an addiction to fame. You get a little dopamine reward when you get those likes, when you get all those people looking at your videos or your photos, commenting, saying, look how great you look. You get a little hit, a little reward, and it keeps going and you keep looking for another reward, another reward. And many young people have actually, when those rewards stop coming through social media, they turn to drugs or alcohol or other things. Because they're looking for fame, they're looking for to be satisfied in the wrong places. Also, there's just the, the endless pursuit of trying to live up to an imagined standard. People are constantly thinking about like the last time you put up a photo, right, on Instagram, or maybe a video. How many times did you reshoot that video, that dance move on TikTok? How many times did you take that photo, and how many photos did you look through before you picked the right one, right? It's exhausting trying to put up the image that makes you look the happiest, that makes you look the most glamorous, the one that you think the most friends are going to like. None of these things are going to, going to satisfy. And, and in the end, are we really going to be famous in the same way David is famous? How long is that going to last? I recently saw the movie Hamilton, I don't, uh, the play Hamilton. I don't know if you've seen it. Hamilton is all about someone wanting to leave his legacy. He wants people to remember him when he's gone. How many of us can remember our great-grandparents here? One, two, three. Okay. How many of you can remember your great Great-grandparents. Anyone? Anything about them? What's going to happen to your great-great-great-grandchildren? Do you think they'll remember you? Your TikTok videos, your Instagram photos, how you did in the HSC, what you accomplished in your work? They're not going to remember. Why? Because the Bible says in James, we're like a mist that vanishes at dawn. Psalm 103 says we're like flowers in a field that are here today and gone tomorrow. Nothing that we do in this earth is going to endure apart from how we have promoted the promises of God. Because you know what? The only thing that's going to remain is the promises of God. The promises of God to build a kingdom forever. So what's your legacy? What are you going to leave behind? 
The legacy I think we want to leave is that we have pointed other people to that king and that kingdom that will last forever. Because that's the only thing that's going to last in the, in the end. God's promise of a king and a kingdom that will last forever. And if you end your life and no one remembers you, but you have pointed people to the fame of that king and of that kingdom and of that promise, then your life will be a life well lived.